Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming service that uh, focuses completely on the Australian market and business news. I'm David Kosh. Great to have your company for this Tuesday. It's just gone midday Australian Eastern Standard Time. And of course, that means it is time for the call where we analyse 10 stocks that you've suggested. We put them to two experts for their opinion and analysis over the next 60 minutes. Um, and welcome to our panel today, Mark Morland from Team Invest. Mark, good to see you again. Good to see you, Chrissy. Um, and Scott Phillips from Motley Falls. Scott, good to see you again. <coughs> How's home isolation going? Doing my best, Koshi. As you, as you mentioned just off air, I've had a couple of handyman disasters, but luckily no injuries thus far. Yeah. So we'll Interesting. call that a win, given my uh, we have... handyman, Martin McGrady, put it that way. Yeah. I have noticed that uh, you're about as good a handyman as me. I think we've got a shot here. Of uh, oh, Just to explain, uh, Scott was doing a bit of home renovations uh, in isolation. That's his wooden sort of workhorse. But he cut through not only the bit of wood he was meant to be slicing and dicing, but also the wooden walker workhorse as well. Scott, that's quite an achievement. Scott, let's uh, kick off with you. Uh, GWA Group, um, household sort of consumer goods group. If you're, if you're in the, I'm kicking this off because anyone in the renovation business would associate with Coroma and Dorf bathroom products. And of course, they look after them. Mate, I uh, th- thankfully didn't have to take the, the circular saw to the, to the bathroom product. So thus far, <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of direct experience. That, that puts me in a good position. I probably wouldn't take my tips on, uh, on the actual carpentry itself. Look, GWA is in a really, really funny position right now. And we're going to talk about a lot of companies today. And frankly, you will through this week and next, and frankly, probably for, for weeks to come. That really are those sort of businesses in the middle of somewhere between attractively valued if things go well and horribly overvalued if things go badly economically. And that's that's really the, the, the kind of core of what we're looking at now as investors, trying to work out which companies, firstly, make it through this unscathed, and then secondly, you know, how attractively valued are they looking to the future? Now, you can see that chart there. The shares have dropped off enormously, and you'd expect that, right? The fall in economic activity that we're all expecting, or frankly already experiencing, but already expecting over the next couple of months, will absolutely hit renovations, hit uh, home building itself, and that's the real challenge for GWA. It is a well-known business with some reasonably well-known brands. Now, the stock hasn't gone much of anywhere in the last little while, as you can see from that chart. It's a business that, you know, again, trades on that brand value. And there is some brand value there. It's it's not it's 12-odd times earnings from memory. That places it at an okay multiple. But it right now seems to me that there's not a lot of pessimism in the price, even though that fall-off has been meaningful. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it was probably overpriced back then. It's probably now reasonably priced. If you own it, I probably wouldn't rush out to sell it, but I don't think it's one you want to be buying at the current price in the current circumstances, unless you are particularly bullish about the economic recovery. Yeah, um, and it's had a pullback mark mm. and no bounce at all, like a lot of other stocks. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, just having a look at it, we've never actually uh, uh, studied it. We know Reese very well, which is obviously 
um, a competitor yeah. uh, to them. Um, if you're looking at, looking at the numbers, they've been growing their EPS at about 5% a year average over the last six years, which is mediocre. Um, but their sales have been going backwards and the sales have been going down about 5% per year at the same period. So what they're doing is they're making very modest uh, level of profit increase on declining sales, which is not encouraging because obviously uh, at the end of the day, they need to um, increase sales as well yeah, if they want to grow. So, yeah. so that's mediocre. Uh, the rest of the numbers are okay. Um, uh, Scott's right, they're on about a 12p at the moment. So we're showing them returning in a, assuming no drop for coronavirus, just if it was business as usual, about 14% a year, which is not bad. On a margin of safety, it drops down to 1% a year. Right. So that's our more conservative one. And, and what that's doing is that's penalising them more for the drop in sales. Right. Right? So it's saying, hang on, you know, now if I put in zero, so if I uh, do a calculation and say, I mean, on average, uh, sales growth is going to be zero for the next yeah. five years. So just no, maintain. Because of what, Scott's Well, saying. just because it's negative at the moment. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. so zero is an improvement. Yep. So I'm, I'm not saying this is a bullish view. Right. Uh, then it gives me about 8% return of zero right. at the current price if I, if I can live with a 14 PE at the end in five years time. So what we try and do is say on a five year, uh, what's my average return going to be? Yep. And what's the what's likely based on the dynamics of the business and so on. So it's an, it's an okay business. Right. Um, but but, uh, and okay, it's on but a, you, you follow Reese. We do, but Reese is on twice the high PE. Right. And Reese has now taken on a lot of debt because they've done some very large expansion in the US. So there's some extra re execution risks right. with, with Reese now. So we're, we're sort of in a stand back and watch it, but it's been ah. a fantastic company. Okay. Now they've so grown so about, Reese is an, an alternative to this. It is an alternative. I think it is, yeah. No, no, for you in terms of investing, would you. Uh, we've never looked at this. And the would reason you switch we, away from this to Reese? Or? Uh, well, we've never been in this. Right. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just saying, looking at it, it's it's not it's not it's not a terrible company by any means, and right. and the area they've got some good brands, and uh, I would be interested in in understanding why they've struggled on sales, and I don't know because yeah. I've never spoken to management. Because they, um, Scott, remind me if I'm correct or not, they used to own Ducks Hot Water and stuff like that, didn't they? And then then sold that. Yeah, this it, it did uh, cost you this. Funny ones in this kind of space, there's there's little kind of small, medium-sized kind of brand conglomerates. Uh, GWA is one of them. They're, they're just kind of, they've had these different combinations of brands over time. They've kind of sold some, bought some, sold some, bought some. Right. And to Mark's point, they've never really been able to tap growth. And you would think to some degree in this sort of market, when we've had a, a real boom in home building over multiple decades, it is to some degree a bit of a surprise. Now, part of that sales challenge is because they are divesting businesses it's hard to draw a really straight line through the business that they're keeping. I do think the ones they've got are higher quality ones they've divested. So they've probably done well strategically. I just don't know whether that's enough in the current environment, given, as Mark's already said, moderate levels of growth. I mean, a 40% returns pretty reasonable for a hold. Um, and that's what I was saying. It's you held that I wouldn't get rid of it. It just feels to me like, you know, there is probably worse to come. And again, to Mark's point, that's not necessarily factored into those models. If you start to push that forward by three, six, nine months, um, and then you get to some, at some point, this is the real challenge is, what does it mean for business as usual on the other side of this? Now, if those brands hold and manage to pick up, then you're in a really good position. But such a long period of dislocation gives the market plenty of opportunity, frankly, to change preferences. And that's what I'd be a little bit concerned about when it comes to those brands. They are good brands, they're known brands. You mentioned Corona and Dorfkoshi. They're not exactly brands you'd cross the street for though. And I think that's where we want to be a little bit careful at how much we're paying for a company like GWA. Okay, all right. Um, so uh, a miss from uh, from both our experts, both Mark and Scott, on GWA. Although 
uh, which Scott, if, if you hold GWA, it's still worth holding. Um, next one, Mark, let's kick this off into the media business, Nine Entertainment, the Nine mm. TV group uh, mixed with Fairfax. Yeah, yeah, well, Nine, um, I mean, the whole media uh, area, traditional media has obviously had a massive uh, headwind for uh, quite a lot of years now on um, yeah. because of uh, the internet and online and flat platforms and all yeah. the other things that have certainly been disrupted. Yeah, now Nine's <laughs> done a good job or they've done put a lot of effort into developing properties in that area and trying to uh, uh, transition their business into it. I don't know what the segment profitability is, uh, but their EPS has been going down about 3.6% a year. So it's in, it's in from, from how it looks from our point of view, I was just looking at the financials, it sort of went down, came up and it's gone down, it's heading down again, yeah. which is not exciting. Uh, now, can you still make money investing in a company that's uh, got earnings uh, uh, on a decline? The answer is yes, uh, but you've got to pay a very low price for it. So nine at the moment is on a P of about 12, um, and we're showing it returning about 2% a year at the current price. So uh, if I said the business was okay, the debt's okay, return on equity is very low, it's down to eight. Uh, it's only passed two out of the last six years. So that's not encouraging, that tends to be a speed limit on your returns. Um, but if, if I wanted a 10% return on our default numbers, I couldn't pay more than 84 cents. And oh. it's currently $1.21, although yeah. it's been down to 82 yeah. in the, uh, so in the far of the coronavirus. Back. So I mean, yeah. at a point, if you believe that they can, and they own, they're a major shareholder in Domain, yep. Financial Review, uh, Sydney Morning Herald, yes. they've got a lot of properties, yep. uh, and they've got a lot of balls in the air, but it's, I think it's, they're, they're obviously struggling to make it uh, turn into earnings growth, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can buy it cheap enough, then uh, you, know, you can still get a, reason, a decent return. It's not going to go broke. Right. It's just yep. in a, a stage of yet to prove that it can come yep. out of this and grow again. Okay. Uh, Scott, Nine, of course, they're going through still major restructuring, aren't they, after the merger between Nine and Fairfax. So <coughs> they're, they're, they really haven't completed that. Yeah, it's a really challenging time for Freddie Wakeoshi, as, as you know well. I think there's also potentially an opportunity for investors, though, kind of to Mark's point. I've got to say, you know, the, these the freeware businesses are very, very large amounts of fixed cost. Now, that's often bad. The good news is, of course, if you do manage to get a turnaround, the extra dollars of revenue that come in the top mostly flow through to the bottom because it's not a huge amount of variable costs on top of that, right? Once you've got the TV studios, you've got the, the equipment, you've got the people, you've got everything else. The extra revenue that both in terms of the number of advertisers and the dollars per slot per 30 second ad um and again i'm not telling you that you don't already know koshi but uh, for the benefit of the viewers you know that's where that some of the benefit is and i think to some degree nine and, and seven to some degree have a really big leverage opportunity now maybe i'm being a little bit too contrarian maybe my uh, my value roots are showing a little bit too deeply um but i think there's some value in, in nine the current price and i think if you believe it comes out of this look News and sport are going to be the mainstays of freeware television across the networks. They do that really, really well. Seven does, nine does, ten does. They're, they're, you know, it's a, it's a really strong core property. Add reality on top of that, there's your three prongs. If they can get that right, um, and again, very fierce competition with both streaming and other freeware networks, but if you can get that right and generate more additional revenue per unit of cost, again, as I said, most of those costs are fixed, then you really have got some good upside potential. So I think nine's a buy at the current price, but on that kind of value approach, I wouldn't be buying it as a long-term buy to hold, bottom draw, forget about it. But I do think if we can see, and again, I talk so much, and I will again for the rest of this hour, about looking through the downturn to come, if and when mm -hmm. they make it through that downturn, coming out the other side, when the advertising revenue returns, they really are in a nice position to springboard those earnings. And I think 
we'll see a higher share price as a result. So it is to some degree a bit of a turnaroundy kind of play, and it's not yeah. for everybody. But if you're interested, I think nine could be one to be buying at the current price. Okay. So if you stick in that sector, though, its major competitor, also listed, has taken uh, a m- share prices being crushed, uh, Seven West Media. Um, does that have the same upside? I think it does. And I think, again, both and the same risk, right? So I want, I want our viewers to be really, really clear here. These are not risk-free investment ideas because in the wrong circumstances, the downturn lasts too long, the costs become too onerous, they can't cut costs fast enough. There are real potential challenges for both networks. Uh, we've seen, of course, Nine sold from uh, James Packard, I think it was CVC at the time, for effectively zero or close enough to it. Um, you know, at the wrong point with too much debt, these businesses do really struggle. So, yeah, I do think there is a turnaround opportunity for Seven West Media. Again, it becomes a risky proposition. But again, if and when the, the revenue returns, and I think it will, at least on the medium term, and particularly, of course, when sport gets back on TV, I mean, it's expensive to buy, but that's where the eyeballs are. When that starts to hum again, I think there is big upside potential for both businesses, as long as our viewers realise there's also decent downside risk if things don't turn around quickly enough. Okay, so a bit of a pun in the media sector there. Yep. All right, let's take a look at our third stock. Is it, um, Mark, is it Amico or Ameco Am- Holdings? Amico? Amico? I'm, I'm not sure how you pronounce uh, it. Which big earth moving <laughs> yeah. business. Yeah, this is a company that supplies uh, mining uh, primarily is their, yeah. is their main area. So they... Their bulldozers, earth moving, and obviously mining. Uh, they say that they have high quality customers in uh, primarily miners and large contractors. So obviously yep. contractors as well. They also have workshops as well, which they do rebuilds of all their equipment and also sells time in the right. workshops for other people to come in and use them and so on. Now, it's been around for a long time. Uh, it's a company that we've never looked at. And the reason is it's had very mediocre uh, performance. Uh, this is a cyclical business, obviously mining services. Their, their fortunes rise and fall with the mining yeah. cycle. Yeah. Massive amount of debt. Uh, it's currently got 236% debt to equity, which for a, co- a company like this is a hell of a lot of debt. Right. Um, it's actually, the debt's more than their market cap. Right. And they've got 1.6 years, uh, just looking at this, of interest cover. So if they applied all their earnings to uh, paying the debt, they're, they're gonna, they've only got enough for 1.6 years. Right. So they're very, very dependent on maintaining good cash flow and so on. From a risk point of view, for me, that makes it a no-go because uh, it's just too dangerous. Yeah. And there's better players right. in the space, like Mineral Resources yeah. uh, is our standout uh, best one. Okay. M-I-N. So, so better option, Mineral Resources. Yeah. And the debt's a killer for us. That's just way over the yeah. top. Yep. Scott? Yeah, I can't disagree with Mark. I think you've got to think about Emico like a budget or Avis rents a car, right? These guys are in the business of, of buying a whole lot of super, super expensive capital intensive by definition equipment and then making a margin on renting that to somebody else. When business is good, when you have high utilization, these things can print cash like nobody's business because it is far, far cheaper to rent for a day. But if you're renting for a year, you're, you're well and truly paying over the odds in terms of what it would cost you to buy. Now, most of its customers don't want the capital expense, uh, rightly, and Mark's talked about why with that debt. Emico's happy to play the arbitrage, basically, okay, you guys don't want to buy it yourselves, we'll do it for you, we'll provide it to you. Now, when it's at 100%, 95% utilisation, in other words, when all the trucks are out being bought or rented by somebody and being used, it absolutely mints cash. And Mark's already talked about some of those numbers. The reverse, of course, is when it doesn't happen. You don't have too many trucks sitting idle and that debt burden will absolutely crush you. They couldn't give equipment away in 2016. We had a look at it a couple of times over the last 10 years. And at one point, they were almost effectively giving it away in Indonesia. They'd shut down the entire operation. The machines were sitting idle and they were trying to find buyers. 
when there's a surplus, no one wants to buy. There are simply so many, believe it or not, mining trucks around and sitting idle, you can't give them away. And so that's the real risk for Emico. Now, it made it through the first time. The risk here, of course, is that if it had to do that semi-regularly, then rather than becoming a one-off, it almost becomes a feature of the business. And that's been a reasonably ordinary way to try and make money for Emico shareholders. You saw the graph. Um, it's, been, it's been a tough old ride. Again, it's one of those situations where I feel like the market may have overreacted on the downside of his share price-wise. If you take that risk out, now if you, to Mark's point, if you say the risk is the risk and it's simply too much, then you walk away and say, look, it's a non-starter. I think that's very reasonable. If not, though, if you believe there is some sort of future for Emico, it does feel to me like this is a bit of a baby with the bathwater scenario. It does feel like as long as they can make it through, and again, that's a big if, um, a bit like some of the other companies we've already talked about, and I think we'll keep doing it as we get later into the program. If they can keep that business humming, when business returns, you will see a really significant spike in revenue, a significant spike in profits, that should bring share price with it. So again, probably in that punt category, unfortunately, uh, I don't think I would want to be buying at this point. I wouldn't say it's a buy, but if you were going to, the, the, the thesis would have to be, there's a decent chance that it goes to zero or almost zero if more capital is required. But maybe if it gets through this, when the business returns to normal, there is meaningful upside on the share price, probably two, three, four, five fold. Uh, which sounds like I'm being a bit too uh, over the top, but that's literally what will happen once they get back to full utilisation, if they can get through it without too much more debt or too many equity raisings from here. Yep. All right, uh, so a note for Emico from, uh, from both Mark and Scott, our fourth stock and investment manager, sort of carved a niche in that annuity area, hasn't it, uh, Challenger? It's a really, really funny business. It's, it's, it's one of those businesses that's almost becoming a bit of a gunner business for me. I, I think it's a buy, but I have some meaningful concerns. And here's the thing. When we, when we, this has been a buy for us for a while at, at the Monday Fool. When we originally had it as a buy, we expected the sales of annuities, particularly to retirees. If you think about yep. so an annuity product basically gives people a regular income stream rather than the volatility of the market that we experienced over the last couple of months. It gives you a regular annuity income stream for you hand over your cash, you get a monthly income, right? That's the deal. Yep. And if you think about the number of, sheer number of people who've been retiring, the amount of money they're retiring with, those numbers are going at reasonably meaningful rates and should for the next 10 or 20 years. The growth in superannuation that can be converted to an annuity, the number of boomers retiring, this should be really, really super fertile ground for Challenger. For some reason, they haven't been able to make it stick. Now, whether that's, they say it's because the dealer groups are breaking up in financial planning, partly resolved wow. the Royal Commission, that's probably true to some degree. But it's a business that really, if you if you, if you laid out the facts and someone says, look, here's the market, here are the tailwinds, do you want to be in this business? Can you make some good money? The answer would be yes, absolutely. Challenger seems thus far not to be able to capitalize on that one. So it is a buy because I think the raw potential of the market is there. And these guys are the name in annuities. It is yep. Challenger, if first daylight, second, brand. third, fourth, and they are the, the, the one name. The problem, of course, is unless you can convert to sales and profits, the, the headwind, the tailwind, sorry, are not much use to you. So, yeah, I like Challenger. Yes, it's, it's a buy, but it's one of those ones that, frankly, another six, nine, 12 months from now, I may well change my mind and simply put it on the, the gunner heap. You know, it was going to be this and going to be that. It never quite made it. So it's a buy, but with a bit of an asterisk to say, keep it on a short leash. Yeah. Uh, it's just been a mediocre performer. I mean, that's the yeah. problem. I mean, I just look at their graphs, it's similar to Emico's. <laughs> and yeah. They, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, their earnings are 40 cents 10 years ago, and they're now 44 cents. So uh, let's make sure I'm on the right company. <laughs> Maybe yeah. they look like Emico because I'm still on Emico. Right. CGF, just like. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, challenge it. All right, so uh, the earnings have been very, very flat, and their six year average is minus 4% a year. Yeah, which minus is, 4% yeah, minus 4% EPS growth. 
You know, yep. So you go, well, that's just not good. Yeah. Uh, return on equity's always been above, apart from the last two years, and it's dropped below 10%. And they've got a very high level of debt. And I don't understand why. Uh, maybe Scott can explain why they need a lot of debt. But they've yeah. got 196% debt to equity, which is um, uh, over their uh, market cap. So is that, that mainly because of the products they're in, Scott? Yeah, it is. Challenge is officially an insurer. So yeah. the annuity product itself is not really, it is a financial product, but it's not a, a traditional fund. It's actually considered a life insurance product. And so part of that is just recognition of the liabilities it has and the assets okay. it has on its books. So it, it is functionally part of the business. It also has a funds management business, I should have said right. before. So that helps to some degree. But yeah, it's, it functions as a, as a very long-term insurer. Uh, and that's partly why that is. They've also done a deal recently for some, for some cash injection from a Japanese partner. So there is, I don't think, huge amounts of liquidity risk. Now, I will say there is absolutely, like every insurer, the chance that the actuaries simply get the numbers wrong. Yeah. So there is there is always existential risk with an insurer. And we haven't had a lot of insurers go broke since HIH back in the day that we probably all remember. But yeah. that is always possible. So that's, that's a business risk and an existential risk, quite honestly, for Challenger. I don't think it's likely because the way they structure their business is a relatively known payout, their risk is whether they can earn enough on the money they're holding in trust to, to fund that payout rather than having a big claim right. at some point. Okay. It, is a, it is a life insurance product, technically speaking. Yeah, but, uh, but a buy it for Scott at the moment. Um, let, let's keep on, why don't we, this, um, this income return because um, uh, Challenger is in the business of annuities and as Scott was saying, paying a regular income stream to retirees. Um, Everyone's chasing income at the moment. Uh, beta shares yield max, an ETF maximizing income returns. Sort of for those yield uh, investors, Scott, is this a good alternative at the moment? Gosh, I don't think it is. And, and here's why the, it makes its money by buying the top 20 ASX companies, so the companies in the ASX 20 index. So call out the big four banks, Macquarie, Telstra, CSL, Cochlear, the usual suspects. And then it plays with some options around that to try and get a little bit more income than the direct yield itself. Now, we don't have to go too far to remember that yesterday, NAB cut its dividend by two thirds. Um, there, there is going to be lower yields coming. I think this is probably, if not a straight out yield trap, but just is something that, that investors should have a think about because it really is only the subtotal, as you mentioned, of, of its fund components. And if you think about the top four banks having to cut yield meaningfully and potentially others through the top of that list, most of the income coming from right. this particular ETF is going to come from the big four banks. So if you were buying this because you were looking for something other than the banks and potentially were looking for a yield that was uh, somehow better than or at least as good as the banks, you're probably going to be sorely disappointed over the next six to 12 hmm. months. Now, it might not be worse than the banks necessarily. So maybe, maybe going from the banks, this isn't necessarily a net loss, although it may well be. I would just be a little bit mindful that it's not investable, just that if your expectations are based on the past and that somehow you're seeing this is different to the banks, be very, very clear you're effectively buying the banks in a bundle, plus some other bits and pieces right. thrown in, Telstra, CSL, okay. um, BHP. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that's kind of what you're getting here. I think, look, income is really hard to find right now at the mm -hmm. levels people are used to. That's absolutely true. You need to be a little bit careful, but I don't think this one particularly is a great replacement for the banks because effectively all you're doing is you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, you're buying 
you know, an, an instrument that effectively is exactly what you've just sold, which is probably shares in the banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. and Mark, pa- well, past well, performance well, will be no indicator <laughs> of the future in terms of... Well, they've only been listed for they're in their fifth year at the moment. So, not very long. We don't, we're not interested in index funds because we're obviously right. stock pickers. So, yeah. we're putting the emphasis in, emphasis in deciding what to buy rather than pay someone else to make those calls. The only redeeming attribute I'll mention is that it looks to me like they're uh, currently at about a 23% discount to book value. Now, assuming book value is, uh, which I imagine it is, is just the value of the current price of all those uh, holdings they have. Yep. It's yep. a 23% discount. And if it goes down much more, you know, then maybe that, that it creates a bit of an argument to say, well, it'd be worth them just liquidating it and give everyone, giving everyone a, a decent right. uh, payment, perhaps. Yep, okay. All right, I went a bit out of order there, which is, which is mucked, mucked up our graphics machine. So let's go back one to our, our fifth stock, was meant to be uh, Kathmandu. Yep. Um, was doing really nicely before COVID. Uh, obviously been hit, closing the stores down. Um, outdoor wear, um, just did a big raise. Uh, Mark, what do you reckon of Kathmandu? Uh, that's interesting. It actually it came up on our filters uh, recently. We had a look at it. Now, yeah. obviously, the difficulty is applying what the consequences of COVID are going to be yep. you know, to the business. Yep. But if you just take that out, they've done a raising of about 100, 105 million shares, yep. which I think was 17% of, the, uh, of their market cap. So if I look at that and say, well, their earnings in F19 were um, 17 cents, a sh- 17.5 cents a share, that, that dilutes it by 17%. So the real earnings are about 14 yep. going forward, if you look yep. at it. Uh, before you take into any consideration of how long it's going to take to come through uh, when we open up and get back to business as usual. But right. If we take that out for a minute, it doesn't look bad at all. Um, mm-hmm. Its EPS growth has been about 12% a year uh, average over the last six years. Return on equity is okay. Debt's really low. It's nearly zero, which is excellent. Um, and they're on a, currently on a P of 4.23, which is very, very low. Um, uh, the historical averages are sort of, you know, say, 8 to 14 per year. So they're about half their normal low. And they've actually been down as low as 2.69 uh, in this, in this yeah. uh, situation. So you know, from our point of view, on a margin of safety, we're looking at it returning about 20% uh, wow. a year at the current price, well, that's right. which you could easily get lower right. at the price. So although, I, although it's basically on its lows now, isn't it, from, from uh, the big pullback? Well, it's, I'm showing 47 here on... Oh, uh, okay. That, that's in that little... Just right. below the white dot there. Right, yep. yep. Uh, I think. Um, yep. I've got 40, uh, it hit 47, that would have been one trade. Right, yeah. Uh, right. In the last 12 months. But it is, it is very, four, four PE is uh, still very low for a strong branded company the, the way uh, it is. Um, I think uh, it's, I'd say it's probably a buy right. at the current level. Um, I'd be greedy though, yeah. and I'd be putting an order in at, at 55 or 60 or something because. I'm still, I, my view is we haven't seen yeah. the bottom this yet, so there's no rush. Well, a couple of weeks ago, your colleague, I was going to mention how this <laughs> after you gave your uh, judgment, as um, you know, Howard Coleman, as well as we do, Scott, uh, from Team Invest, Howard was giving us a bit of a history lesson, yeah. lesson on the aftermath of the Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. Now, how was not that old, I don't think, but that was back 1919. Yeah. And he said, after... excuse me, the lockdowns of the Spanish flu, everyone wanted to get out and go hiking. So he thought this might be good for Kathmandu as lockdown and we could all go camping again. We're going to, could be a great surge and a a comeback for them. So 
Howard's always good for a history lesson, Scott. That would be a good thing if I do the same. Uh, look, I think Captain <laughs> Dude, it's a funny, Captain Dude reminds me of the old joke, you know, the, the, the guy who's, you want to check his blinkers. So he gets his mate to go and stand behind the car. His mate says, they're working, not working, they're working, they're not working. <laughs> That's going to be the Kathmandu for a while. You look at a really long-term price chart of Kathmandu, it literally looks like one of the, one of the mountain ranges that, that that's, it's, it's used as my trek. It has been all over the place. Yeah. It, go, it you know, grows sales by 20% one year and then a client at 50% the other year. It opens stores, it closes stores. It, it feels to me like a, a brand that everybody knows and but, but it's really faddish. Now, I don't know if that's, I don't know the company well enough or the products well enough to know whether that's individual product ranges or whether it's just the, the, the desire for its category in general, but it really is super hot and cold, this one. And I think after the capital raising, I'm kind of, again, on that on that kind of bargain hunting angle, I'm kind of inclined to agree with Mark at such a low price. If it can get its act together, there is meaningful upside on this one. Mm. But, I, but I would say it's, it's so hot and cold for so long a couple of cold you know, periods in a row really could cause it some grief. We don't yet know when the stores will reopen fully. We don't yet know how well people will go back to the stores themselves. I'm, I'm loathe the ride off because it has had some spectacularly good quarters and halves. Yeah. But as I said, if you look at the numbers of this thing, it's, it's, it's been really, it's been bipolar. It's been all over the place, very, very high, very, very low in terms of sales growth and decline. Again, open a heap of stores, close a heap of stores. It's never really seemed to get its act together. I'm a little bit... Just, just mindful that I wouldn't want to imply too much intrinsic value to the business itself. The brand we all know, and and some of us love, some of us don't. But the brand we all know, and it's it's it's, it's one of the go-to brands. It just has never seemed to be able to yeah. continually put together a really consistent operation. And that vein, I'm just a little bit skeptical, particularly as I said through this period when online sales are going through the roof. Kogan sales are up 38% in March, for example. Um, you, you know how things change after this. For such a discretionary purchase, I'm still not entirely sure. Yeah. I probably would. Okay, I, I, I kind of want to buy it because it looks so cheap right now. But that may be a value trap in itself. I'd probably give it a wide berth. I think until you see a bit more of the operational reality after COVID. Hang on, you've just talked yourself out of it, Scott. <laughs> you, you started by saying I'm in a bargain hunting mood. I reckon this would be a buy, and then all of a sudden you went through it and went, Nah, I'd give it a miss. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see you. I can. I can see you on the edge because when you look at those charts again, we might see if Sarah can bring up the uh, the chart again. It's it had a, a massive pullback as all retailers went into hibernation. You've got Gladys Berejiklian and and, uh, and Mark McGowan. Look at that up almost what mid round three fifty down to seventy two. Uh, Gladys is now saying, okay, we'll start to open some of the shops. I think the Accent retail group started saying uh, yesterday they would open a couple of stores, um, getting back into shopping with the yeah. social distancing. Yeah, maybe it's... Well, I am, think, I, yeah, am I talking back into it? No. Okay, well, the other, the other thing what, mentioned too... I'm literally, as you said, I am on that knife edge, right? The, the bargain hunter in me wants to buy the 70 cent stock that was $3.50 only two months ago because it doesn't, have to do that. it doesn't have to get back to that, right? If it doubles or triples from here, still well below that high and you've made a lot of money. So, I can, you know, as the, the, the bargain hunter in me wants to buy it. I'm just, as I said, because it's been so disappointing so regularly, if right. this was a one-off drop, really high-quality long-term business, I'd be there, you know, filling my boots. Okay. I've probably just, I've just shied away, I think, because... Yeah, because it has done so poorly other times during its history, 
from a relatively weak financial position, it's had to just raise capital. Now, on one hand, that means it's it's you know it's loaded up. On the other hand, that means there's more shares on issue. So even right. if the business itself goes to previous levels of profitability, it's sharing it among more shareholders because there's more shares on yeah, issue. Sure. So you would know just on a, on a risk tolerance right. basis, but I couldn't fault anyone for buying it if they were prepared to take the chance. But knowing so, full well this one could be great, it also could turn out terribly. Okay, so Mark, are you changing your mind? No, now? no, no, not at all. Because <laughs> I think what, what Scott's focusing on there is the share price. Yeah. And he, he said, he's talking about the mountain, the ups and downs, and the highs. And the, that's all true, but that's market sentiment. Yeah. That's not their fault. Yeah. You know, maybe you say that, well, they've released a report which the market's then reacting to, but it's market sentiment. If I look at their earnings, uh, it's been very stable. The last six years, they have not, they've, they've been growing their sales at 4.8 a year without having a single year lower than the year before. So it's a steady, not a spectacular, but a yep. steady upward growth. And earnings are growing the same way at 12%. Right. So it actually, for the last six years, it's been super solid. But what's happened is the market's fallen in and out of love with it. Yep. I don't care about that. I look at it and go, well, do I, am I confident I'm going to get, as uh, Scott said, could be you know, three or four times uh, return easily yeah. uh, based on, the, I'm more interested in not what the share price has done, but on the fact that it's super cheap at the moment and it's got stable earnings. Okay. Now, we don't know about the coronavirus, but I'm looking hmm. at five years. Yep. So it might take a year to get back to business as usual. I hope it's no longer. Yep. Um, but that's everyone's going to suffer that. But that'll, that won't mean much when you look at the medium term sure. going forward. Okay. All right. Mix there. Mark says, uh, yes, Scott, a reluctant no by the sound of it. Our seventh stock um, on the list of 10 today as we go through it. Um, Sydney Airport, Mark. Um, another stock that's been caught up in COVID and... Travel is as bad uh, as retail. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually um, probably worse. <clears throat> well, it's it's a it's it's not a it's not a stock that we've ever looked at. It it's had quite stable growth for the last six years, actually. You know, so uh, it's earnings. So it's been very reliable, as you'd expect, because they've got a monopoly. Yeah, and it's a monopoly a monopoly business, and they obviously have done a great job of um, uh, making money out of retail and parking and um, so on as well. So. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a Jeez, very... they better make money out of oh, parking yeah, yeah, the amount yeah. we pay. And, and taxi, you know, $3 for five minutes, that sort of thing. So it's got, you know, you've got to like that. I mean, monopolies yep. have got the best moat. Yep. You know, so even when Badgeries Greek uh, comes along, I'm not going to be going there. No, no. <laughs> so, yeah. so they're still, they're still going to be pretty solid even, even uh, then. Uh, just looking at the finances, um, return, it, it, it's, it's hard for us to deal with because it's, it sort of operates more like a, a, um, well, it's an a infrastructure re, just about the infrastructure fund yeah. with super high debt and so on. So um, I think I'll pass on that. Right. Okay. Scott, Scott <clears throat> Sydney Airport. Yeah, Sydney Airport, it's one of those companies that, you know, we say that miners, iron ore miners particularly, are, um, are, are transport hubs with, an, with a mine at the end. A Sydney Airport is, is debt that happens to have an airport attached to it. This is, this is, you know, a debt equal first and foremost, happens to be a, a, an airport and a very expensive parking, as you've already both mentioned. And that's why you're going to be a little bit careful here. I, again, because of the environment we're in, I, Sydney Airport's been a fantastic cash generator for years. The problem is when traffic goes to effectively zero, it still has phenomenally large interest repayments to make. And at some point, either it's going to raise more capital, which means the per share price falls, uh, or it's going to have to, frankly, renegotiate debt or find some other way to sell part of itself to meet that criteria. So you are literally betting, and you've already mentioned the easing of some restrictions in New South Wales. Koshi WA did it last week. Queensland announced it earlier this week. The real race here is between the debt obligations of Sydney Airport and the, the lifting of travel restrictions. Now, I've got to say that international travel restrictions are probably years away. Domestic liftings are probably months and months away. You really are, it is a two-horse race between the debt and the travel. 
if we yep. get more travel more quickly, Sydney Airport will be okay. It'll bounce back and everything will be fine. If and when it has to raise more capital, as I said, in one form or another, selling part of itself, issuing more shares, something else. And frankly, worst case scenario is it ends up in real financial stress. As an investor who would normally buy this, you're talking about people who want an income stream primarily. They're likely to be conservative investors, people who aren't taking or wanting to take big risks with the potential for, frankly, some meaningful dilution or, or business risk. On the other hand, they're not looking for massive capital growth either. So it's a product that, what's a company I should say, that really is not fitting the sort of investor that would normally attract, who is who wants that stable level of income. The dividend's already been deferred, or the distribution's already been deferred for this half, so you're getting no income this half. Next half, I would say, is going to be meaningfully reduced if not deferred further, simply because they're getting no one through those terminals. I don't think it's one you want to be buying right now, either for capital growth or for income, for those reasons I've just mentioned. So I'm giving it a big miss. Um, wonderful asset, but comes with a lot of debt. Mm-hmm. And it's that debt that's the problem. This was debt-free. It's a lay-down mazair. Because it's not debt-free, because there's an absolute truckload of debt attached to this thing, you've got to be super careful not just to look at the business and forget about the balance sheet. The balance sheet for me says no. Okay, is they've got 1.6 years interest cover, which is bugger all. Yeah. Particularly, this could go on for significant time before they get anything like back to what their normal earnings were. Yeah. And basically what they do every year is they, they increase, generally speaking, they increase the debt to pay out more than 100% of their earnings. Yeah. You know, which is basically, it's a, it's a financial engineering uh, product to yeah. increase returns, which is, I would argue, not sustainable. Their payback period, by the way, with their earnings before coronavirus was 25 years. So in other words, yeah. to pay the debt off, they'd have to take 25 years of, of profits and not pay any dividends to pay the debt off. Wow. So at some point in time, there's going to be judgment yeah. call. Um, and, and of course, also, if interest rates go up yeah. and they have to roll over debt at higher rates, that's going to obviously murder earnings. And yeah. I think uh, Scott's exactly right. The big, the big risk now is, I think, the likelihood that they'll have to do a uh, capital raising. Yeah, because the issue is they, their revenue is every time a plane touches down, yep. isn't it? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a lot less of them. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even when we start to get back and WA stops at... 14-day quarantine in South Australia and we think, oh, we can go interstate. Uh, well, it's like a fine, it's, fine, it's, a fine, it's a finely matured, yeah, tuned machine. It is. It's going to take a long time to get back to operating like that. Yep. Yeah. okay. All right, so I know for Sydney Airport. Yeah. All right, <clears throat> we're going to take a look uh, now at uh, we've our run home, if you like, the last three stocks are all in that, that sort of property trust, real estate investment trust um, area. Um, let's kick off with the, the big one, Centre Group. Uh, looks after all the Westfield shopping centres, yep. Mark. Um, yeah. Everyone thinks, oh, Westfield shopping centres, they'll be fine. That's well, I think you've got you, you to look at Lowy when he um, when he sold out, uh, yeah. you know, which was what last was it this year, last year, or yep. late last year. Yep. His timing. Yep. Yeah, so, so yeah, and he said it wasn't because he thought that the no. uh, if the, the founders are getting out. Well, <laughs> I think I think it was impeccable timing. Yeah. Um, they've, they've got. Um, Westfield Holdings used to be a fantastic investment yes. and did over 20% compound yeah. return for about 20 years. It was fantastic. Yeah. I was a happy shareholder. Then they stapled the security together with yeah. all the properties, you know, the REIT and so on, and then, turned, and then uh, Centre Group was born. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been interested ever since then, so I don't right. follow it in detail. But just looking at their uh, numbers, um, the big concern going forward is the uh, what's going to happen to rents. I think what we've seen is a pivot point between landlords having all the control and the tenants being muscled all the time. I think that's switching yep. now. Yep. And we're seeing it. It was happening before Corona, by the way. I mean, we had Anthony Scarley in, um, at, uh, from Nick Scarley 
And he was saying that all his leases as he renegotiated, he was averaging about 11% lower on the right. renegotiation. So we were st- and AX1 told us the same thing. Yeah. So we're starting to see wholesale shifts in rents down yeah. and, before and, coronavirus. And Solomon Lewis got yeah. being like an, an attack <clears throat> right. dog from Premier yep. Investments on this. Now, saying, so the yes, trend, the trend was down and it needed to be because yeah. rents weren't res- they were unrealistic for retailers to be able to make a profit. I sent him broke. Well, they were because yeah. basically online, the shift in sales and so on, it's just yeah. becoming unworkable. So landlords have hung out as long as they could and they've done a great job of doing that. Westfield and Masters at it yep. now the it, it's turning now that's obviously going to make a big difference over the next five years if that if that continues yep. now what's happening with coronavirus is stacks of retailers have gone broke yep uh, and that we're only just starting to see it there'll be a lot more when the uh the extra payments run out from the government and so on so we're going to have a lot of empty shops and so on i would argue yep. and you've got all the major players like Solly Lou with Premier Investments, and they've yeah. all gone. He set the scene by saying, we're not paying any rent at all. Yep. And everyone went, wow. And, it, and now they've all done it. Yeah. So I mean, it's a shocker for Cedar yeah. Group. Yeah. Uh, absolute shocker. Yeah. So their, their rents would have been totally smashed. Now, their li- legal liability is still there. Uh, but my understanding is, and I've got a, I know someone in the, in the business who told me that he's been offered, he was offered by one of the Cedar Group uh, 50%, uh, to pay 50% of the rent. And there'd be no, for as long as this goes until he's trading normally again, right. and then go back to the rent as it was. That's what they're offering. You won't owe any more. Right. Or if you don't pay anything, you owe the whole lot you know, down right. the road or we'll see. Oh, you know, okay. so, so in other words, they were willing to take a hit, which is sensible. Yep. Yeah, get yeah. some money and help. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that uh, I can't predict what the earnings are going to be going forward. Uh, if it wasn't for that, it looks like a screaming bargain. Right. Hit from all sides. What do you reckon, Scott? Yeah, gosh, I want to start with just talking about the, not so with a note of gloom, but I will. Remember back in the day, the old Centro property that became vicinity centres effectively went to zero. And it was two reasons. The first is because the, the debt covenants relied on the valuations of the properties and the cash flow from the properties. And what it means is that you can effectively be wiped out as a shareholder or wiped out as a company, not because... You, you don't have any money left, but because you simply fall afoul of the rules your bankers have set for you. And so as you talk about Centre, but also the other properties in this in this conversation, it's worth remembering that we don't have to go to zero as a business operation for the shares to go to zero if you can't pay back the lenders right. when they demand the cash. In other words, if you break their rules, they're entitled to say, thank you, the, go, the game's over, give us all the money back right now. Of course, the companies can't do that and they're in trouble. Now, most of those covenants aren't made public. No. And so there's just always a concern, and again, not to say that we shouldn't worry about Centre particularly or these companies in general necessarily, but just remember, Centre didn't go broke because it had no money left. It went broke because it broke the rules that bankers had set for it, and it agreed to, by the way. And so thinking about declines there, it can be a small, a meaningfully, uh, you know, a small but meaningful decline in sales or rents can be enough to actually trip those tripwires the banks have put in place for these companies. So bear that in mind mm. up front. Secondly, I think, look, I don't like Centre as a business. It's Westfield is a wonderful company, as Mark's already mentioned. Um, the Centre Group, of course, is the Westfield branded centres in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, Westfield gave them the perennial petrol licence to use that brand. These are businesses that are under real structural threat. Now, I, I'm a little bit less worried about the, the specialty store rents. Yeah, Solilu's kicked up a fast, but that's what Solilu does, and good on him, good luck to him. Uh, but he's always going to say he's paying too much rent. Well, he's never going to come out and say, no, we've done a really good deal, I'm really happy with the rent time. Hey, thanks very much. He's taken yeah. every opportunity over five years to complain. <laughs> now, at any point, he could have simply said, I'm not paying that rent, I'm going to let my lease lapse because it's not worth it for me. It obviously is worth it, otherwise he and others wouldn't stay there. So I'm not convinced the specialty stores themselves, they might not be making too much money, 
but they're still choosing to pay the rent to a landlord because it's an attractive place to rent some space, have a shop. You want the foot traffic, you want the halo effect of a Westfield, you want the full car parks. That's really, really valuable for those tenants. So it might well be a deal with the devil. Uh, they might well talk to that same devil in the deep blue sea, but they feel like they have to to be there. That puts in a really, really strong negotiating position normally. I say Westfield, I'm talking about centre, of course, normally. Now, Mark's... Where I think the big issue is, is Mark's point about Meyer and DJs, to a lesser extent, Big W, Target and Kmart. Yeah. There's five brands I've just named. In 15 years, if there's more than two left, I will be stunned. Yeah. Meyer has got to be gone. David Jones can't behind it. And of Big W, Target and, and Kmart, how you can have more than one of those in a given shopping centre is completely beyond me these days. And I think as leases lapse, we will see continued exodus away from these shopping mm. centres because the lists are already too expensive. Now, it costs them more to get out of than to pay. So they're going to have that situation. That's why they're hanging around. But the drain in those big, big footprint anchor tenant sites that are bringing people to those centres is a really big issue for centre. I think the covenants are a small but very significant risk. The bigger risk, which is probably a, a longer bleed, you won't notice it overnight, but it will happen, as Rachel Hunter said, uh, are, the, are the big discount department stores and department stores. That's where the money will start to leak out of centre. And that's why I wouldn't be buying those okay. prices. All right. All right. So no, big no. name for centre. As, as I said, the run the home in the call is all about these real estate investment trusts. Same thing for Cromwell, our ninth state, uh, stock market, do you think? Uh, yeah, Cromwell's, we, 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 Team Invest has never invested in REITs yeah. <laughs> um, right. any, anyway. Uh, this is an office REIT. Um, if you actually look at their, uh, I can only look at the numbers. I don't know much about the business at all. So to be able to, uh, perhaps Scott can uh, elaborate on that. Uh, the uh, earnings growth the last six years have been minus 9% a year. So flat before that, then a pretty significant drop. It's just, yeah. just terrible. Um, and I think it's been paying, what's it, a dividend? 9%, 9.9% dividend yield last year, which obviously would pe- yeah. people would like. Similar dynamic. The PAT ratios are always over their total earnings. And the, yeah. and the, but the debt's not as high. It's only at 58% debt to equity uh, with theirs. So we're showing it returning 2% a year. So at the moment, it's just so really mediocre on. that I wouldn't even look at okay. it. Return on equity, 3%. Last the year before, 7, 9, 10, 9, 10, 8. Yeah, so okay. barely ever makes 10. Yeah. But Scott, whereas we're saying retail is going to sort of reinvent shopping centres coming out of COVID, uh, the same thing could be said for commercial office space as well as everyone comes back from working from home. It will be fascinating to see. I think the longer this goes on, the more pressure there's going to be. Uh, I remember when Fairfax did, first did their hot desking strategy. This must be five or six years ago. Because people were going to be working from somewhere else and have a desk if they came to the office. Uh, the co-working thing with the WeWorks and other WeWork itself, terrible business. But the concept that it's reimagining of, of what office work means is a, is a meaningful one. The thing that Cromwell has going for it is 40% of its tenants apparently are government tenants around the world. Oh. And so you should expect that a, they're not likely to move very quickly, and B, possibly more likely to support a struggling commercial business in those different jurisdictions when needed. So there is some value in having that less finicky tenant. Now, I'm sure the government's get a pretty good rate because you're going to charge less for a very yeah. long-term stable tenant like a government in, again, those jurisdictions here and around the world. So it's a, it's a decent, safer part of that business. Now, 60% is more than enough to go broke if you lose a decent proportion of that, as I kind of said at the top, around centre. And those debt covenants, I know it's a really boring topic to talk about, particularly over lunch, uh, but it is a really, really meaningful one. You don't need to lose too many of those tenants or all of a sudden your company effectively yeah. becomes the property of the banks, either literally 
or in terms of the amount of capital it's required to raise or the, the terms that it does a deal on. Again, a la Centro, that feels like so long ago, probably was, it was 10 plus years ago now, but you've always got to keep that in the back of your mind. Whenever you're looking sure. at anything with particularly retail, so particularly uh, resident, uh, REIT debt, uh, you want to be very, very careful about how badly things need to go and it's not very bad okay. before the banks can start to pull the tune. All right. Cromwell seems to be more protected than most because of that government tenancy. Uh, but again, so I, I wouldn't, I, I don't love REITs generally. Here's the problem with REITs. So a quick one, Howard, on Charter Hall. Uh, Mark, but how's uh, the Mark, going? sorry. <laughs> uh, that's another, that's another REIT. There's only about 50 years difference. This is a bit like um, Centre Group, except they work in um, the regional areas. Yeah. So it's regional yeah. shopping centres and so on, which I think are probably, you know, probably may have less risk, but hard to say. Yeah. They've also got a lot of these other major players who can pull out as well. I wouldn't touch it. Uh, it's got the same arguments we had for the last comp- last REITs, the same thing. And there have been earnings have been going down at 2% a year average. Yeah. Scott, boring. any change on, on Charter Hall? No, the, the, re- the regional thing is a positive for them. So that's probably a slight yeah. benefit. Uh, given the choice though between this, I'd actually choose shopping centres Australasia, which is that more marketplace style yeah. okay. uh, cafe, a couple of supermarkets and some specialty stores. So if you wanted to get into the, the non-centre group retail, i go shopping centres Australasia over Charter Hall. Okay. Guys, thank you for that. That has gone in a flash, that 60 minutes. Love catching up with you two blokes to, uh, to run through the call in our 10 stocks. Mark Mullen from Team Invest, good to see you as usual. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, always great to catch up. Uh, better luck with the sort of renovations and the um, <laughs> and the handiwork over the next week or so. We'll see you on Weekend Sunrise coming up. Hopefully all my fingers. Thanks, Koshi. <laughs> good on you, Scott. Just a quick recap on the top 10 stocks. GWA, a hold from Mark uh, from Scott, but um, a note from Mark. Um a speculative buy for nine, um, nine entertainment from, from Scott. Uh, Emico, a no. Um, did Scott, Scott talk him out of himself out of Challenger, didn't he? I think at the end. Um, yeah. Yes. So, um, Cap, uh, Beta Shares, no. Cap Main <coughs> do a yes for, uh, for Mark. Um, Sydney Airport, a no from both. And Centre, Centre Group, Cromwell and Charter Hall, a note from our uh, expert panel on the call. Great to have your company. Same time tomorrow, midday Eastern Standard Time. Coming up, uh, if you've got any uh, stocks you want to recommend, uh, you can email the call at ausbiz.com.au. After-